Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman. I'm the editor in chief of Modern Retail. And this week, I'm really excited because I get to dive into the world of alcohol and spirits uh, and aperitifs, in fact, with Emma Fox, who's a global VP at Bacardi and oversees the Saint Germain brand, which is a brand I am fascinated with um, just because it's something that is coming back into vogue. And Saint Germain has been doing some interesting things in terms of brand marketing of late. And I want to dive into all of that. But, Emma, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So first, tell me a little bit about yourself. Sort of how how did you get into this this alcohol space? Yes. So um, I've been in alcohol now without giving the age away. I've been in it about <laughs> 13 years now. Um, prior to that, I was working in food and, and also toiletries, luxury premium toiletries. And I was always really um, fascinated by kind of that emotional side of marketing uh, that makes you connect to brands. And so Alcohol was was really interesting to me because of that. And so I, I started off in the beer and headed over then to the, the lovely brand Grey Goose um, and then joined Saint-Germain, gosh, 18 months ago, which was quite an interesting time to join a brand. Yes. Um, 18 months ago is when I kind of uh, came to the world of Saint-Germain. And it is honestly, I, I can't wait to talk to you about it because it really is just a beautiful and fascinating brand. And I've had, despite uh, a challenging time, a really, really wonderful experience um, working on Saint-Germain. So yeah, super excited to talk about it. All right, so let's get into it. Because I think Saint-Germain has a really interesting story as as an alcohol product. So can you just sort of give either the truncated or long version, however, yeah. however you want to go yeah. into it? Uh, just cut me off if I go on too long. Um, so it's basically Saint-Germain is a French elderflower liqueur. Um, and it it is actually um, created, well created, we harvest it once a year. So it's made with fresh hand-picked elderflowers. So once a year in late spring, when the harvest happens, that's when we actually harvest. And it's those fresh flowers that maybe create that beautiful taste that you get with Saint-Germain. Interestingly, it is quite a modern liqueur in the world of liqueurs. So it was created in, in the early two, um, 2007, actually, when we saw that real rise in the, the, the cocktail culture and bartender cocktail culture. And it was created absolutely to be the salt and pepper of the bartender community and so what you see is that and it is a truth it, it partners fantastically well with a range of cocktails and that's why we've been a real fabric of the bartender community for so long because it was created to mix and that is actually quite different when you're looking at the liqueur category um, so it's a modern liqueur um, in that respect which I think makes it super interesting. Have there been any other liqueurs that were sort of created in the early 2000s. I feel like now we're beginning to see sort of a resurgence in terms of specifically right. artisan and startups trying to create their own yes. thing. But I feel like, you know, 20 some odd years ago, that didn't really happen. And so can you talk to me a little about sort of like, did it stand out as a result of that? Or sort of how, how did that all come to be? So it came about, um, it was actually created by um, Rob Cooper, who is actually um, a third generation distiller. Mm. His father actually created Chambord. So um, okay. he he kind of knew what he was talking about. <laughs> um, and he, it was created in partnership with a lot of the bartenders. So um, I think because of that, it stood out because it was created at that time to mix and be part of that. I think you're right. Now we're seeing another resurgence of that. So that, that uniqueness... Um, 
is is still what we, we have, but we're definitely seeing more and more products coming in that are being made to mix as well. So I think liqueurs have evolved in that way. And the new entrants you definitely see as well are starting to do that. Absolutely. And when did Bacardi and Saint-Germain start working together? Or uh, Bacardi buy it, I guess I should say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 2013. Okay. So wow. that was, yeah. So it, it's been, it's been with um, Bacardi for quite some time. And I think... Um, what I found really interesting was when joining on Saint-Germain was that it's been carefully looked after. So, you know, there can be sometimes an appetite to take something and really blow that up. But what, what, what Bacardi have done is really just make sure that they've kept building gradually what's with the bartender community. And so actually the, the last 18 months has been a real moment of, of the next chapter for the brand. But before that, Bacardi's been patient and has built and been very, very careful about the way that they've built this brand. So I think that's been a really interesting journey for for me coming in, particularly yeah. the last 18 months. I want to talk about that. But so this is clearly like you were brought in and you're bringing the next chapter and you're working on this these sort of new campaigns. But when, when you are a liqueur or a spirit that is made specifically for the bartender community, how did Bacardi specifically go? Was that just sort of that they would like just figure out the top bars? It feels like that is a very different marketing muscle than than for many more mass consumer facing liquor brands. So how did Bacardi do that? So I think there's a number of different things. So one is really about making sure that we have the right ambassadors and um the people that work with us. So in, in, in the US, uh, L'Equipe uh, has been a range of bartending bartenders and experts who have worked with us all the way through. So we have um, even now, you know, a five, six uh, strong team of bartender um, advocates who work with us on Saint-Germain. And then it's about partnerships. So for example, just recently, and I think it's a great example, we launched with Remy Savage in the UK, a pop-up for three months with Fraisen, which is what we do is we make sure that we're partnering with the the creators and the experts in the bartending community and support them. So fostering that, working with them, learning from them is a very large part of it. So ambassadors, uh, co-creation, support, funding. It's really important that you nurture that relationship because these guys are the experts. They they are at the forefront of innovation in, in, in drinks. And so it's really important that we continue to remain a fabric of that community because that's where we started. So one of the things I find really interesting about liqueurs in general is that they play, they are often sort of, they're the complementary player and they, they sort of are the, they're not the first flavor that you get when you are having a cocktail. And I imagine when you're doing something that's specifically for the bartender community, you're sort of letting them take the reins. But do you, yeah. do you think about it when you're asking your ambassadors, your bartenders to make a, to make a cocktail with Saint-Germain that like they be a, a Saint-Germain forward cocktail you want to have a lasting impression with consumers so that they know what's in there but you also want a cocktail that tastes good and so I'm interested just sort of how you go about that and what you hear from bartenders when they're when they're working with it I mean we're always going to have a point of view on the best way for you to, to drink Saint-Germain <laughs> so um and um for me it's a spritz and that's definitely part of what we we kind of recommend so for me and I actually at the moment I'm a big fan of a rosé spritz if you want to try and mix it up so a Saint-Germain spritz which is sparkling soda water sparkling wine soda water and Saint-Germain is a great way to taste what makes you know the beautiful flavour of Saint-Germain so we definitely have a point of view but I think what we tend to do is try to also make sure that we lean on the the creativity of the trade so actually what we've seen a lot of is twists on spritz and different classic cocktails so I think we'll always say, listen, we think it's a great way to drink it. But I think 
what I've really enjoyed seeing is when it's the twists to classics that the bartenders do that make it quite unique. So, um, and that's actually what we've seen a lot of in recent times is in aperitif occasions, innovation within the way that people are serving those drinks and experiencing those drinks, which we've kind of been a little bit more at the forefront of with the trade. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that because I like aperitifs and I feel like they've had like this insanely interesting renaissance over the last year or last couple of years, I guess I would say. But, um, and I feel like they've become a much more mainstream drink with like everyday consumers or maybe that's just the bubble that I'm in but I feel like more people are talking about sort of lower ABV cocktails in that sort of way than they were before but before we get into that like just so 18 months ago you joined and what what so was your mandate specifically we're now going to focus more on consumers sort of what was what what what, what happened when you were brought in so when I came in, I think one of the big things for me was actually just to, exactly to what you said was to start with the consumer. So, um, and the bartending community, but really actually just take a second, take a step back and look at what we wanted to achieve for the next chapter and and really actually put the consumer and the bartender at the heart of that. So we started with research. So we started with listening to consumers and with bartenders. So we did research in our top five markets for, for bartenders and consumers and really got back to focusing on what is the core tension and need and how do we uniquely fulfill that? Because I always find that if you start there, you've got a North Star to guide you because I think you can get very easily distracted in a number of different, and never before in the last 18 months. So I think for me, what was really important was to find your rudder, find your North Star, find your role and be very clear about then how you fulfill that. So I started with even in the crazy time that it was, I started with with research and listening and speaking to consumers because I think you have to start there. You have to have humility. You know, you have to understand your right and role to be in someone's life. So for me, that was the starting point. So was the research sales velocity? Was it surveys? Sort of what were you digging into? Um, So it was with consumers, it was really understanding how they're living their lives, how they're consuming cocktails, what their interests are, how they um, create and, and feel inspired. And so really looking at the role that we could play. So it was um, it was really listening and talking and having a dialogue and discussing different ways of, of, of kind of providing a role. And then for the bartending community, this, it was really about listening to their views, what they were thinking about, what they're excited about, how the world was looking. So it was really a full inf- information gathering is strong, but really just listening to both, 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 um, I say both communities, it's a person, but listening to both, both people and, and understanding kind so of where their heads were. That was so 18 months ago. Was, was that March, 2020, February, 2020? Yeah. March, March, April time. Okay. So that was right when pretty much everything sort of Oof, went yeah. to hell. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, but that, that's also a weird nexus time in terms of consumption patterns, specifically with alcohol, because bars and restaurants closed in late March. Um, and people, and that was when there was a big drive towards people consuming at home. So did that, like, were, were you trying to take that into account and be ahead of the curve in terms of that? How were you sort of dealing with what the new way that people were trying to drink alcohol in a much more distance and likely at home fashion? So no, it, originally it started as, where are we now with, with consumers? What is our right and role and, 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 and with the trade? And what does the future look like? Um, I think even then, if you remember, I think we were all a little bit in shock. Yeah. So I don't think there was, 
a pattern or a rhythm or a way of living. We were mostly just kind of going, oh, this will be over in a couple of weeks. It'll be fine. Like, I don't think we knew. I, I think over the, the next six months, that's when we really started to, to learn about the value that we could add to consumers' lives. So just as an example, we did this, act, um, this song, content series called Moment Du Jour, where we partnered bartenders and artists and creators to look at how they could create special moments for the weekend because we recognised that, you know, I'm sure you felt it, the weeks and the weekends kind of just blurred. Mm -hmm. Everything just felt like this one long blur. So we started to do things quite organically like that during the kind of the first three to six months based on when we started to see clearer patterns of how people were living their lives. I mean, at the beginning, I think we all just felt a bit shocked, to be honest. So at the time, that research really was about you know, what's the, ch- what's the next chapter? What's the role that we can play? And what were your overall findings? So what, like what, and what did, how did that ladder into how you were re-energizing the brand? So well, you, you, you asked people in March and February, you know, how, how do they interact with drinking? What, how, what are their patterns, et cetera? And then that, that fed into sort of a, a new plan. What was it? Do you know, it really was just going back to what Saint-Germain's all about. So I think that was the funny, the funny thing about it was before that point, we we had been quite an undiscovered jewel. Like, and I, it was really something that if you knew about Saint-Germain, you were a massive advocate, you knew how to drink it, you'd share it with your friends, but not many people knew about us. And and actually, it, it was really just regimenting about going back to the basics about what we are. So that salt and pepper of the bar community, like, I'm sorry for the food analogies, I think I'm just hungry, <laughs> but like... For me, I think one of the things I love about Saint-Germain is that it is like the, it's the extra virgin olive oil of the bar. So if you, it's the thing that you can put with everything. And as we explored with consumers, really that's what stood out. So, and that's quite satisfying actually, when you can just go back to, well, fundamentally, it's about what we were created to do. And, and that was honestly, for everyone that we spoke to, that was what was most exciting. And, and that's nice because then it's about really just showcasing what's already great about Saint-Germain. And I know it sounds so perfect, doesn't it? Like it was that easy, but honestly, <laughs> it really, I know, it, but it really was just that, that that's what people got excited about. So then specifically when you, you learned it was, you know, it was about going back to the product itself and trying to get people to just try it essentially. How did you, given that there were all these changes, what in your overall plan and strategy changed and how how were you getting it in front of, like bartenders sort of no longer played as big of a role, to be completely honest, because a lot of them were were out of jobs for a while. So what did you do on that front? Well, they played a really big role for us because yeah. that's, for us, they are a part of the fabric of, of, of Saint-Germain. So mm-hmm. I think actually we spent a lot of time working with bartenders. We brought them into Moments Du Jour, like our trade, our ambassadors supported them. So, um, and we actually spent a lot of time consulting and speaking to them. So, um, and actually the, you, there was some amazing innovation in the in the trade. If you think about the to-go cocktails, like in Dante in New York did the most amazing Saint-Germain spritz to go. So I think the trade were so resilient. I mean, if you think about what they had to go through, um, they were, they were, they were kind of, forging a path, if you will, at the time. I think from a consumer perspective, what we saw was a very natural demand for information. How do I make this? How do I drink this? How do I mix it? How do I create a great experience? And actually fueling that with the right content. Last year was the first year we actually did invest in media 
because we actually put money behind helping people to understand how to mix, how to create, how to drink. And also um, with the rise of, um, and I was listening to your podcast, so on the rise of, of commerce and direct delivery to consumers' homes. Yeah. So we saw, I was listening to that earlier. So we saw spritz to go kits. And actually in the US, we, we put out um, a spritz to go kit that you could pick up and grab and take home because how could you just make it really easy for people to create these little moments of joy, if you will, um, and, and help people understand how to drink. So that became a very big focus for us um, over the last the last year. Was that a new muscle that you had to sort of train? Because I feel like for a brand like Saint-Germain, it's like, it, you're, it's very physical. It's very, you go to a bar, you do pop-ups, you do sort of very nice events. And then you couldn't really do that or not in the same way. And you're investing in c- content and media, which you said you had never really done so so vigorously before. So what, A, how did you approach, the, approach this content and media? Where, was it just you know, writing content on your own website? Like sort of what what, what was it? And how, did you have to sort of build and train this muscle that hadn't been part of the brand before? So I think because we had this North Star about kind of the role that we would play, we, we used that very much first off to really define the points of which we would show up in consumers' lives and the value that we would add. So the first point was understanding about where are, where are our consumers searching for information? Where are they searching for, for uh, inspiration and information? And, and I think... A big part was about partnerships. So really making sure that we partnered with creators and people that were helping to inspire people during this time. Um, another one was then actually about content that very much focused on this is how you make it. Very, very simple content. So it was through the partnerships and then the paid content. And then actually we did what was called a Salon Saint-Germain, which was basically taking, because we saw so much interest in bartenders and creators and Saint-Germain coming together to give inspiration, first with Moment Du Jour, then with some of the media work, but then we did Salon Saint-Germain in, um, around Christmas and, and, and did an online um, content series film around kind of talking about how you could elevate occasions over Christmas. So it just kept coming back to partnerships and simple communication. And then I think what's important is about making sure that you do that, you allow people to discover that. So, you know, not trying to go big, big, big in terms of how you use the media, but making sure that you're still seeding through discovery where people are searching. So it really became a, about that formula. And that and that actually wasn't as hard as I thought it would be to your point in terms of if you're flexing a new muscle, because again, we came back to what's our right and role, what inspires our audience and coming back to great partnerships to create this inspiring content, just continue to resonate. We did... Um, a partnership with My Little Paris in my, um, in France. And we had dwell times on the content of like plus four or five minutes, which is very unusual for that kind of content. So we found people just naturally enjoying the content that we were providing. And I think that's a good asset. Is this something you're going to find useful? Is it inspiring? And, and, and that really became a bit of a filter. Like what are the types of content that people are consuming the longest, I guess? Is it, is it sort of how to like, here's a here's a good cocktail or is it more you know, high produced, well produced, branded, artistic. Like what 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 are the things that people are resonating with when it comes to content re- related to Saint Germain? It's it's really about how to drink it and what to do with it. Yeah. Honestly. It just keeps it just comes back to that every time. I mean, it's it looks beautiful. I'm looking over here, there's a bottle over here. I'm not doing something else. I'm looking at a bottle, I'm gonna resist popping it up. But it it's a beautiful brand. It looks beautiful. It tastes fantastic. And therefore what people want is how to drink. 
So the most the most popular content in in partnerships when we do paid media it is all about well how do I drink it just tell me how to drink it tell me how to make it and and that's where we see the most engagement and then the most conversion through because that's what they're looking for they're right. looking for something a little bit of easy inspiration so I wanted to zoom this out a little bit and I've talked about this a little bit but just it seems that and correct me if I'm wrong but it seems that there is a greater appetite over the last year plus for sort of nicer liqueurs and aperitif-like drinks just among yeah. a lot of consumers. And so do you think that that was a response to the pandemic in terms of people were sort of stuck at home and looking for more interesting things to drink that might have been a one-off, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to try it at a bar? Sort of what do you think led to this? And do you think that, I think that there are also a bunch of interesting alcohol startups out there that are also sort of adding to it. So just talk to me about what you're seeing overall in terms of the liqueur and not necessarily hard spirits world right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's been one of the categories that's seen huge growth over the last 18 months, but I think it also, there were beginnings of those kinds of trends anyway. I think this just, this has accelerated that because particularly for liqueurs, what I think people have enjoyed discovering is those unique flavours that can easily be added to cocktails that you have at home. So it's it's more of a discovery. It's more curious. It's more finding different ingredients. And so I think we was beginning to see that anyway. Um, but I think the last 18 months have kind of accelerated that curiosity. And I mean, I'm sure you hear this a lot, but the rise of the home bar has, has, has never been faster. So because of that, people are searching different, curious, unique flavours to, to kind of um, try a great cocktail at home. It's like the cooking culture. It's the same thing. Like, I want to make a great meal. I want to make a great cocktail. I think that's what has really kind of boosted the interest that we've seen over the last 18 months. Are you, I don't want to say, it's not changing, but are you tweaking your brand messaging as the category becomes more of a mass category? So, you know, there are people people in certain metropolitan areas who know you know, how different spirits work, how different liqueurs work, what they are. But then if you're going sort of out outside of there with people who are just learning, you might be speaking in a slightly different way or tone just to sort of increase the mass appeal. Are you doing that or are you finding that you're staying sort of true to what you've al- always done with the brand? I think I'm finding that what we, we've always said is what's still relevant. I just think it's about making that available to more to more people so coming back to the fresh elderflowers and the unique taste that that provides coming back to the easy mixability and the simple way of you becoming a little bit of a rock star at home like the truth of the product hasn't changed we're just basically making more people aware of it now Mm -hmm. so you i want to talk with what you've been doing recently with campaigns because you've done you know a series of pop-ups you've done sort of in-person things how how are you like a what is the overall strategy with it what how are you figuring out where and how you are doing these partnerships but also how are you handling this given just there's a bunch of uncertainty with what's going on right now and (laughs) things change literally every second so talk talk me through this (laughs) oh my gosh i know (laughs) um I think we're learning. I think we're coming into a different chapter of experiential for people. I think people are, we saw such a huge response to the pop-up in New York. And I think that was because people were hungry for those real in-life experiences again and those beautiful connections. So it's interesting. We've done like three different things recently. And I was just talking about this to um, Alicia, who's the ambassador in, in the US. So we did these amazing picnic deliveries in Paris. So we've delivered picnic baskets to the park in Paris because people were being outside more, they were going to the park more. Um, in the UK, we partnered with Remy Savage on Fraser, which is a three-month pop-up 
because we were beginning to see the trade opening again. We were beginning to see that kind of um, desire for people to get together and connect. And then, and, and, and to your point in New York, it's just starting to open again. So we kind of wanted to celebrate that with a pop-up that was, was open to anybody to walk in and kind of have that experience. So I think um, what's always at the North Star of it is how do we bring together amazing creators to build something quite interesting and special that makes a moment sweeter a little bit more interesting. How we're doing that is changing. Like literally December, we were doing online salon and talking to people about how they could elevate occasion at home. I think the learning is you have to be nimble and responsive to it. So we could be talking again in, if you ever want to speak to me again, we could be talking again in like three months and the world could be shut down again. I hope so. Um, It could be shut down again. So I think what we've learned is to be nimble, to be responsive, to listen. And at the centre of it is always about how are you just creating something beautiful with, with people that do that incredibly well. And I think experiential will be smaller intimate mm-hmm. more more engaging and I, I think that's the way that it will head and I think it'll be like that for a little while to be honest so do you is this shortening the planning time just so that there aren't so many unknowns three months out or are you have introducing sort of worst case scenario elements you know are you planning now for a December event that if they you know depending on what happens public health wise it'll be more mostly digital like last year sort of how how are you putting into all those elements yeah, for for yeah. future planning no it's a good point it's um <laughs> it's interesting um so i think it comes back to constantly listening so i'm we're always trying to understand what's going on and, and i think that's you know i'm sitting in my little office in london and and so we do see different trends around the world in terms of how the world is opening closing behaving and and i think we're definitely having to always have a second plan in place to your point. So I think what will stay is digital content, reaching consumers in that way. What I think will be an evolution for us is those smaller, more nimble experiences. So we definitely always, um, I think we'll be less dependent on a bigger activation because I think it's really important to be, to your point, to be nimble. So yes, we would definitely kind of have different scenarios and it has shortened our planning times because you have to be responsive because the world is, changing so quickly day to day absolutely travel lists one minute you can travel somewhere one minute you can't so it 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 definitely is we're definitely being more responsive absolutely and so what are what are you sort of planning for the coming months like is it just sort of keeping with these these smaller campaigns are you going to be doing more like a bigger a bigger content media blast over the holidays sort of how are you approaching for this sort of year two where things aren't back to normal but they're different than they were last year so, I mean, for the rest of this year, I mean, can you, four months till, I know. till and it's ridiculous, but um, I think the big focus for the rest of the year is really just continuing to inspire people on how to drink. Like, I think, you know, I, I really hope this year we're going to have a better festive season for all of us personally. I'm, I'm wanting to see friends and family and connect. And, and so right now our focus is just on inspiring people how to make those moments a little bit more sweeter. So really that's the focus. And then, into next year um i think we've learned a lot from the different experiences that we've done this year and and i think some of that will stay i think we will continue to do those smaller more intimate um experiences because we're seeing people really responding to that and i don't think that will go away i think we're all going to be incredibly present and grateful for real connection Mm -hmm. i don't think that will change so um 
I think that will still be a part of our plans for next year. All right. Well, Emma, this has been such a great conversation. I really appreciate you joining. Gosh, that's gone really quickly. Thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed it. Same. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week. Thank you.